Welcome back to Functional Spirituality. Today I want to talk about my journey with sexuality. Because I've had quite a rich journey, many rich experiences with sexuality, I feel like I have something to offer to this space, to the education, to the way we speak about sexuality, the way we embody it, the way we think about it. And so many experiences that I've been through have been breakthroughs about what is helpful and what has been very unhelpful for me in spiritual practice with sexuality um, and also daily life, mundane living with sexuality and the things that can come up. So my sexual journey really began um, when I was 23. When I was 22, I had um, started following a Buddhist teacher and was going on retreats and was very interested in spirituality and had started meditating. I'd been practicing yoga pretty hardcore for, for a few years, but I wasn't into spirituality by any means. But when I started following this Buddhist teacher, I decided to become a celibate. Actually, one of the last things I did before I gave up my, you know, kind of possessions and, and left to follow this teacher. Um, one of the last things I did was was break up with a, a boyfriend I had been with. And yeah, I was I was unhappy for so many unknown reasons. Um, I thought, you know what, I'm going to become a celibate and that seems um, noble and um, supportive for me on my spiritual journey that I'm going on. Um, but when I turned 23, um, maybe one month later, I found myself at a Tantra school. And I say that that's really the start of my journey with sexuality, the start of my conscious journey with sexuality, where I was actually considering and relating to and interested in and, and exploring my sexuality where when I became a celibate, it was not, I wasn't really interested in sexuality. It was, you know, it was um, a part of a bigger piece. And I thought, well, it'll be a good thing to just shut that off. So there wasn't that much kind of consciousness around it, although it was maybe a, a part of a spiritual practice. But when I was 23, you know, shortly after I, I found myself at the Agama School of Yoga in Thailand, um, which is quite a famous yoga center um, in that kind of medium, large scale yoga centers, you know, not one of the biggest, but but pretty up there. And a lot of people know Agama for actually the sexual scandals that um, were ongoing, but um, erupted quite dramatically in 2018 with a huge kind of international scandal that kind of put the um, school on the map in many ways, but also took it off the list of, of being a very, very popular tourist and spiritual seeker destination that it had been. It, it had absolutely blown up over the, the many years that I was there. So I arrived there in 
2011. And I was very interested in the way spirituality was being explained at Agama. Um, it's a Tantra school. And when people, of course, that needs some context. So when people use the word Tantra to describe a school or a system or a teacher or a spiritual practice, when someone says Tantra, and then they don't go on to clarify what they mean by that word, then they are 99% of the time referring to something that we might call Neo-Tantra. So Tantra, as the word is um, used colloquially and thrown around in our day, day and age in, a, you know, an informal kind of context is speaking about, oh, Tantra, what's being spoken about is Neo-Tantra, which is a kind of um, style of Tantra. Adagama, it was a mix of both Neo-Tantra as well as a specific type of tantric literature, philosophy, and practice called non-dual tantra, or the tantra that worshipped Shiva and is nowadays called Kashmiri Shaivism, or non-dual Shaiva tantra. And it was a type of philosophy that was non-dual in nature, so it said that the nature of reali reality is ultimately consciousness, or Shiva, Paramashiva. And so they, so Agama incorporated a lot of Tantra. It also incorporated things from pretty much every spiritual tradition. So Christianity, Buddhism, Taoism, all kinds of modern branches, Sufism, there was a big emphasis, um, parapsychology, all kinds of Western spiritualities and mysticisms like um, astral traveling and metaphysics, um, Kashmiri Shaivism, and then Neo-Tantra. So Neo-Tantra is, um, you know, a, a pretty developed system, um, quite coherent amongst most of its branches in some ways, where there is, um, and it, it's an amalgamation of some Hindu religious symbols, New Age spirituality, um, and then conscious mating in some ways, or conscious relating, conscious sexual practices. Um, so basically bringing um, conscious awareness and intention and evaluation and inquiry to sexuality. But it also has Hinduism, um, lots of Hindu symbols, deities, rituals, all kinds of Indian spirituality mixed into it, um, which is fair to say that that is um, the tantric element in some way, or, you know, because a lot of those symbols of um, Hinduism and Indu Indian spirituality do have its roots in tantra. Um, and then it has a big... Uh, the third part is really the um, new age spirituality. So everything to do with the chakras and the energy body and the polarity and the left and right and feminine and masculine, all of those elements. So that was my, I kind of landed in um, this Tantra school at the age of 23, the ripe old age. And um, I was a celibate. <laughs> I was this Buddhist, you know, 
pretend starting budding Buddhist celibate that rocked up to this center and I was blown away with the exquisite tantric philosophy um, and these teachings of yoga, um, the teachings of these philosophies of mind. And then there was all of these um, tantric practices that incorporated deities and universal energies and just more metaphysics that, you know, especially at that young age and, and having such a beginner's mind, um, a lot of those things imprinted in a beautiful way on my beginner's mind. And I was very intrigued and discovered and was interested and really drawn into the spiritual practice um, in such a full way, in such a loving way. I was just so um, hooked in some ways. Um, and at some point, you know, I... I realized that I wanted to try the sexual parts that the the sexual teachings and practices and recommendations and and ongoings of the center. Um, and by I decided I, I was definitely being um, invited strongly <laughs> the entire time by you know like the lead faculty and and actually one of the main. Um, like the 2IC of the center was actually when a, is a cousin of mine and that's how I was introduced to the center. I did not know what cousin was doing in Thailand for all of those years, but I went to go investigate and see what, what he was teaching with the yoga and I was very interested in it. And then I ended up in this wild, crazily amazing tantra school. And um, so I kind of dove in to the teachings and there was just no shortage of explanations and teachings and rituals and courses. And there was just so much um, to devour there. And it was, you know, just brilliantly interesting, um, brilliant, you know, and, and the, the yoga school continued to grow and grow and grow and grow. Now, as we know, and as I definitely felt initially, um, and then in the years as I kind of stayed a part of the center, I was also a part of the Hridaya Yoga Center as well. So I kind of had my foot in both schools. Um, as soon as I got to Agama, I had also maybe one month later done a Hridaya silent meditation retreat, which is definitely a huge influence in, in what I offer now you know, consistently, it has remained to be a big part of what I offer. Um, so I kind of always had my foot in both schools and the schools, you know, used to make fun of each other. Um, you know, one is totally filled with sexual perverts. The other one is totally bypassing <laughs> the reality and is only interested in non-dual truth. And there was just, you know, that kind of arguments going on. And I, you know, was as I had always been, had my foot in both worlds, you know, climbing the ladders in both and just, you know, just just um, playing the game and, and working my way up, as well as having this absolutely pure, deep devotion to the essence of, of both of those practices and both of what they were looking for. But as time went on at that school, you know, it became very, very obvious. And then eventually in, in 2016, 2016, most of the 
kind of senior staff of Agama left and decided, you know, there was just too much scandal. There was just, it was just getting a little bit gross. Um, people were pretty pissed. I kind of just happily walked away. And, you know, so at Agama, there was a lot of, although there was so much amazing teachings and a brilliancy and an, an intelligence and a charisma, um, and a, a phenomenal sense of community that comes when so many people gather together to with this shared interest and with an essentially pure intention. Um, although that is not enough really to purify all of the layers, you, you need actual functional practices that can help you work through your things when you're, when you're doing such strong and, you know, powerful work, intensive work, you're just living in the school, living on the island, dedicating yourself to sexuality and spirituality and meditation and yoga. Like you, you better have some good tools. Um, so the worst part about, you know, that dynamic wasn't just that, you know, the power dynamics, the, the dirty spirituality the, or the dirty sexuality, those things were obviously um, out of line for most people. It had a massive culty vibe. So, you know, people would, anytime there was a transgression, everyone would, you know, jump in to protect the transgressor and you know, there was some weird patriarchal things and so much spiritual dogma. You know, there was a lot of things that anyone with a bit of a critical eye could look at and be like, well, that doesn't look too good. But for me, the, the you know, 10 years on, for me, what I found looking back to be the most insidious um part of that journey and that dynamic and that system wasn't the blatant abuse of sexuality and power um, but it was actually all the beautiful virtuous pure loving incredible teachings um, the intelligence that was there the beauty that was there the love that was there the principles the values were all so that ones that were really beautiful, they were the most insidious because they lacked a foundation that was coherent and had integrity. And that's the most insidious part, you know, and I, I, I know you all know what I mean by that, you know, because it, it can really betray people forever, you know, and they can never really get over that and see what happened to them. And yeah, to have such a toxic undercurrent. Um, it wasn't just an undercurrent, it was a big, uh, you know, small undercurrent, it was big, it was very, very much um, problematic and, and obviously pro problematic to have that there. Um, it's very disorientating and very toxic and it didn't really, you know, serve all of us that well. Also because those tools and techniques and rituals like there was just so much in this toolkit that we were all immersed in and all practicing so much spirituality eight hours a day minimum you know like the hardcore ones were just non-stop um, I was probably one of the hardcore ones to be honest I was known to have a really really strong practice everyone would be like oh yeah you should go to you know one of Ava's classes she's crazy <laughs> um but I also had this really beautiful 
um, balance with the Hridaya yoga as well. But yeah, the, the fact that we had such an elaborate toolkit, it actually ended up doing us a disservice because like I said, the underpinning was so disharmonious. Um, that having such a big toolkit and then, you know, like someone like me and so many others that were really established in the practice, it's almost like we had to completely find a new way and build it up from scratch because that whole elaborate toolkit and all the things that we were so good at and had practiced and were teaching and had integrated and had you know, incorporated all of those things were actually underpinned with a really toxic foundation. So everything had to be reconsidered. Um, and for some people, you know, that had to happen in a more jarring way and more drastically. And some people like kind of like myself, I was undoing a lot of things for a long time. Um, undoing them even while I was still a part of the school I was kind of mm, yeah I don't think that that doesn't fit I'm not just not going to do that I'm going to find a new way um, but that whole kind of ecosystem or that whole um, spiritual system was so tight and dogmatic in the Agama school that it took you know you could just kind of you have to slowly unravel each piece fully integrate it mold it into a, a coherent functional system okay we're going to try that and you know just kind of transfer all of the pieces over um but then at the same time those new pieces also need to be remodeled as you because your practice should be always refining always changing always growing in it in its you know finer details of course ultimately the the foundationals should be the same um, but yeah, so that, that, that was very difficult. That was another difficult piece, but I do want to speak about the pros of my, um, the beginning of my sexual journey, conscious sexual journey, um, between the ages of, of 23 till I would say 23 till 27 was this kind of beginning phase of my sexual journey when I was really just taking on um, whatever I could get. And I was, I was really um, a part of this, this one particular school and that was where the most of my exposure was coming from. So there was a lot of invitation to open relationships. Um, so polyamory also is the word orgies <laughs> when there's more than one person. Having sex, I guess that's the only word for it, isn't it? That's not polyamory. So, um, and all kinds of explorations, like there was amazing things with rituals and devotion. Um, so a couple of the things that, that were really positive was that being so exposed to sexual um, content and practices and teachings um, and practicing them, really forced me to start to look at communication in a big way from a very young age. Um, because most of the problems <laughs> and issues that would come up were easily and beautifully solved through correct communication. And by correct, I mean that's something that worked in that moment. This kind of work also 
probably one of the biggest benefits was how quickly it removed sexual taboos from my system. Within a few years, I felt so free sexually. And there was a lot of different things that we were practicing. And I was, like most of the things in my life, like pretty full on trying many things, doing all of the rituals and the practices and the techniques and, um, you know, as much as I could. And very quickly, a lot of taboos were removed that allowed me to freely go and explore many different kinds of sexual encounters, which, you know, increasingly connected me to my body and my sexual energy. Although, of course, because it was this a little bit of a dirty um, space, there were a lot of things that later on I had to address and undo. But for the most part, being engaged in that kind of sexual practice with such a sense of openness removed those taboos and allowed me to explore many different situations. Um, and most of those situations had at its intention healing. Not all of them provided that because they really lacked the coherence and, and, and a mature and clean um, process behind sexual healing and emotional healing. But it definitely, you know, fast-tracked me in that process where I was more open and willing to do those things. Um, it also opened me up to and, and opened the doors for me to move into a phase of my life where I was stripping, which was one of the most amazing experiences um, I've been through from the incredible women that I met to the psychological dynamics that I got to explore to the um, devotional and spiritual elements that I got to explore. So I was mostly doing like dance shows um, and that is, you know, part two of this journey. But being a part of this sexual school opened me up to that, which was amazing. And probably the biggest benefit was that it made me obsessed with sexuality. I was completely obsessed with sexuality. I was obsessed with devotion and Tantra and God and enlightenment with also some of the more human elements of relating, monogamy, polyamory. Um, I, be, I became so obsessed with that and you know that completely changed my life and opened me up to um, have some incredibly healing and um, maturing relationships and encounters that I have with my now, you know, life partner. And those came from, from that fervor and devotion I had to the practice because there was just, like I said, there was such a brilliance to to the way that the goddesses and the rituals and the metaphysics and the universe and the energy and all of that, those things were spoken about in this Tantra school. It got me so hyped up. I just became obsessed with sexuality and explored it to no end, <laughs> which, you know, I've given you some context so that, you know, it all sounds okay, but otherwise that might just sound like a crazy person. Um, outside of this context, but I just was really, really exploring um, what these things meant. And I was such a baby 
at that time, baby in my meditation, baby in my sexuality, baby in my yoga practice. But I have to remember that I was a baby compared to where I am now. Some of the experiences that I had and, you know, things I discovered and and relationships and, and practices and rituals that I had were absolutely mind-blowingly universal. And I, I'm not speaking about like mind-blowing orgasms because actually for so long of that beginning practice, one of the hungers, this is what I mean by being a baby, I was so hungry for an orgasmic sexual experience and that was like not on the table. That was completely not on the table for me physically. Um, I was so underdeveloped in my energy, body, practice. Like I was really, really fresh into yoga and meditation. So that was just not there. Um, but these experiences of, of universality and energy and meditation and just getting to explore the energy body through a sexual lens. Um, like I wasn't just pulling on a thread because rationally and intellectually it sounded good. I actually could feel the sacredness of sexuality and the way that it brought me to my knees and to tears and, and open my heart and open devotion to another, but mostly just to the divine. It was, you know, this is why I would, I never regret the weird things I've done in the past or the culty schools I've been in. Because, and all of the ways that I was like caught up in the dogma, because the sacredness that was revealed, it, that has never deepened. You know, that sacredness as it was realized is, is just that non-dual sacredness. And the way sexuality opened that and... resembles that sexuality resembling that um and that being so obvious when nothing else was working for me and i couldn't feel energy in the yoga or in sex or anything but just to be connected to the sacred in that way and, and have sexuality open that up for me um yeah that was um beyond invaluable so this is, this is my story about the beginning of my sexual journey. And from there, the story continues. There's a lot of other interesting things. But yeah, I was a bit of a hardcore sex cult <laughs> practitioner in my early 20s. Um, and I'm going to leave it there for now. Thank you for listening. This show is dedicated to creating wholeness and satisfaction through higher education. I recommend you go back into the app and subscribe to the podcast. The very nature of the spiritual path is cultivating an experience that lifts you up. And this small step can do just that. You can also discuss your insights and the subject matter with friends. Thank you for listening and for cultivating wisdom. Thank you.